أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم وعلى آله والصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته um, So who wasn't here last time? Just so I know Okay, so about 50% of the crowd so It's going to be a bit challenging But just to start where we left off last time We're basically looking at ayahs number 8 Or we looked at ayah number 8 till 16 of Surah Al-Baqarah which really talked about the description of this group called the hypocrites. Okay? Oh, like we talked about last time, and, uh, when Allah describes these qualities, are we supposed to think of others who may have these qualities? Well, are we supposed to do self-reflection and inner reflection? What do you think? Is it supposed to be uh, any points for us to start judging others or to do inner reflection on ourselves what do you think yeah because again Allah didn't give us the license to judge anybody because where is nifaq actually where is hypocrisy it's in the hearts by the way it's something that's in the hearts and Allah described it as a disease by the way we'll look at it today so it's a disease that's in the hearts and can anybody tell the state of anybody's heart no so it's something that's yani, there's no way you can uh, tell if someone is a hypocrite or not, and, and there's, and you shouldn't be even looking at that. It's it's all supposed to be inner reflection, and that's what the Quran calls us to do. Allah gives us these examples. He sets these different, you know, ideas in the Quran for us to reflect on ourselves, basically, right? So, just another reminder for you all, and that when something comes to your mind or somebody comes to your mind, remove that. Relax. Give benefit of the doubt. Right? Sometimes shaitan comes and puts these minds in our heart to distract us. from. So, so rather than you reflecting on yourself, you end up putting a list of, ah, okay, yeah, I can think of someone who is fearful. I can think of someone who is deceitful, dishonest, corrupt, someone who is arrogant, someone who mocks. No, it's about us, right? It's about inner reflection. And wallahi, when you get into the habit of inner reflection, then slowly and steadily you start purifying yourself. And that's how this nafs, gets purified, right? Tizki, that's the concept of tazkiyat al-nafs. Okay? So we looked at the, the negative qualities of the munafiqeen and then what we, behind the scenes or, behind the, or between the lines, what Allah is trying to tell us is, listen, I don't want you to have these qualities. Go for the opposite. So be sincere. Feel safe with me. Don't be afraid of me. You know, big topic. It's, yani, still many people have this confusion Are we supposed to be afraid of Allah? Are we supposed to be afraid of His punishment and all of that? Hopefully We discussed it enough by now in that A mu'min is someone who feels safe And let me, let me um, Also explain it in a different way So you know how I showed you the pyramid of Different levels of consciousness So let's look at that table Just so that everybody's On the same page yeah, so for this, for the people who are here, what kind of guidance will they get from the Qur'an, do you think? Then the Qur'an talks to all levels of consciousness simultaneously. You see, that's one of the miracles of the Qur'an, is that it's a book for all. You know how like sometimes you try to study spiritual books? Certain books are very basic with easy language for beginners and then there's medium level books and then there's advanced level books and there's super super advanced highly 
tech, you know, uh, highly technical terms and, and confusing books that are, v yeah, different, difficult terminologies. But in our, in our worldly sense, when it comes to learning, we have different levels. You can't teach math to a first grader like you teach math to a 12th grader. صح? There's levels of understanding. There's different levels of maturity. But what the Quran does is it talks to all of them simultaneously. So for someone who is inshallah here, right, which I'm hoping all of us are aiming to be, that, sh that should be our goal, is to be on the upper 500 plus levels of consciousness. If you're looking at life from, a, from an angle of love and gratitude and joy and peace, then when you, when you come across this scary ayat in the Quran, then you understand that it's talking about this group of people. It's not talking about people who are up here. Now, does that mean that you start acting self-righteous and think that you're better than these guys? Because that's another trap, you see. If you start thinking, well, uh, I'm always going to be here and I'm safe from all of this, then that's another problem, right? So we need to kind of have that balance. And uh, whenever you come across ayat of adab and punishment and pain, realize that Allah is talking to this group of people here because He wants to scare them. Why? Why, is Allah, why does Allah have those ayat in the Quran? Because He wants these people to get out of that, right? To evolve out of that, right? So it's, it's called negative, reinf negative reinforcement. So you could either tell a student in class to study so that they can get a, an ice cream or something, right? Or study otherwise, you're going to be grounded. The first one is positive reinforcement. The second one is negative reinforcement. Both are needed by the teacher, right? Depending on the level of the student. If the student is a high achiever, then... Does he need negative reinforcement? No, he, he needs ice cream, he needs the extra credit bonuses, he needs the rewards, right? But for the naughty students in class, will, will the extra you know, the credits and bonuses work? No, then you need to use some sort of negative reinforcement. And even our parents use this with us. Back when we were kids. They used to sometimes deal with us with, with mercy, sometimes using threat. Does this mean that our parents hated us or that our parents wanted us to be terrified of them? No, it was all based on love. The bottom line is that Allah loves His creation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves all of His creation. And this is just the balance of the Quran is that it speaks to different people in different levels. But what, what I'm calling you to think of is that when you come to this class and, and inshallah we are... Yani I'm teaching Quran from this perspective, honestly, because I'm hoping that people here are relatively at a high level of consciousness because you've been coming here and you've been, you know, we've, we've gone through Surah Al-Fatiha and unless you're new to this class, then again, that's one of the challenges, right? But for the most part, I'm teaching from this level here, right? But at the same time, be careful of another trap of shaitan, which is to look down on these people. That's not the objective. The objective is not to, to be self-righteous and to have what's known as spiritual arrogance, right? When you think that you are better than others, you are more spiritual than others, and that these, yani, these, these people have no hope. Relax. Everyone has hope, right? Allah is Al-Hadi for all groups. Al-Hadi, one of Allah's names, is for all levels of awareness, right? So is that clear so far?
So I want to get into the next topic today. And يعني, it's going to be the first time I'm teaching this stuff, right? So inshallah may Allah help us, يعني, uh, because it's going to be quite challenging. So just to give you an overview of Surah Al-Baqarah so far, ayah number one till five talks about who? The believers, right? Alif Lam Mim Dalik Al Kitab La Rayba Fi Hudan Lil Muttaqeen Aladina Iminuna Bil Rayb Waikumana Salah and all of that. And then uh, the second part here is two ayah talking about the disbelievers. Inna Aladina Kafaru Sawaun Alayma and Dartum Am Lam Tundirhum La Yuminun. And by the way, if you want to follow along with an app, it's it's good. If you have a Quran app, just follow along because we're gonna it's gonna get a bit technical. So just two ayat about the disbelievers. And then a, a collection of ayat talking about a different kind of disbelievers who are also known as hypocrites. But we'll, we'll know by the end of today is that these people are a bit different than these guys here. Okay? And you'll know by the end of the talk today why. Okay? Today what we're going to do is we're, we're going to look at inshallah one, maybe two examples. Right? Allah gives examples. Ayah number 17 and 18 is an example. Ayah number 19 20 is an example. Now, what is an example? Example of, yeah, example of what? So, very good. So, one is an example of the first group of disbelievers. The second example is an example of the, the second group of disbelievers or the hypocrites. Now, the question is why does Allah give examples in the Quran? And the word for examples in the Quran is methal or amthal. Right? And if you want to know, um, that Allah is given an example, the, the beginning of the ayah will, will sound like this. مَثَلُهُمْ كَمَثَلِ الَّذِي Okay? مَثَلُهُمْ Allah is given an example. Now why does Allah give examples? Very important to, to stop and think of. Why is Allah... Allah just told us the descriptions, but now He's giving us examples. Why? Very good. To simplify things. And, you know... Make you understand where you are, clarify things more because um, students in general understand at a deeper level when the teacher gives an example. Yes or no? Especially if it's a teacher that wants to teach you. Because, you know, there's two, two types of uh, or methods of teaching. There's the you giving the speech and leaving, right, which is, this, which is what a speaker does. And then there's the teacher who engages with the students. There's question and answer. There's give and take. There's examples. Now, which, which teacher would you prefer? The first type or the second type? Why? So you understand more. And, and how would you describe that teacher, by the way, the second type of teacher? Hmm? Good teacher, yeah. And what else? Hmm? Very good, dedicated, really wanting the students to understand. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Rahman, He says, Ar-Rahman allama al-Qur'an. Just think about it, right? Allah is saying that Ar-Rahman, the most loving, compassionate, caring, and merciful, He is the one who teaches the Qur'an. Um, and by the way, allama, you notice the shadda in the lam. What does that signify? The shadda in the lam, allama, which means he takes it, he takes it one step at a time, and he takes his time to teach it. You know how like sometimes really amazing teachers, if if like a student doesn't understand in the lesson in the class, he'll ask he'll ask the student to come and see him after class. He'll probably give time to that student during between the breaks. 
He might even be willing to stay after school. Maybe even on the weekends he'll come. That's Allam al-Qur'an. Now what do you call that teacher? An amazing teacher, right? I mean, if a teacher is so dedicated and so into giving the message across, we would call that teacher someone who's like loving, right? He loves the students. He really wants them to pass. So what kind of teacher are you? <laughs> uh, I mean, we were talking about Allah being the teacher now, right? So I'm just, think of me as like a, a vessel, an instrument, right? Allah is teaching you, maybe through me, inshallah, right? I'm not teaching you anything, by the way. Everything I have is from who? From Allah, from my teachers who got it from their teacher, from teacher, eventually from Allah. So Allah is the ultimate, like all credit goes to Allah. Rahman Allah al-Qur'an. Right? It's just Allah chooses certain people to, to teach through, right? So what I'm trying to say here is that Allah gave an example because He loves us so much. And He wants you to understand this. And He wants to give you, and uh, Wallahi, it's, it's such a deep example that yani, I, I'm going to do like maybe 1 or 2% justice to it. And when I was studying the meanings of, please come, please, it's okay. When I was studying the meanings and, and like the different interpretations, it's mind-boggling because every, every scholar, every teacher has a different interpretation. And there's no right or wrong, right? It's that deep, okay? Um, so you get this idea and Allah is going to give us examples. He's going to give us methods and He gives tons of methods throughout the Qur'an. And some scholars have written books, Al-Amthal fil Qur'an. Like their entire research was based on the different types of examples in the Qur'an. Like Allah gives the examples of the, the, the spider's home, right? He gives examples in the Qur'an of uh, human beings and dogs in some cases. Different, sometimes He gives examples of even donkeys and all sorts of different images. Because human beings sometimes through visual learning we, we memorize and we understand things at a deeper level, right? You've heard the term a picture is worth a thousand words. That's the idea here, is that one example and you, you inshallah get it, right? So that's what Allah is going to give us today, okay? These four ayat, inshallah we'll be able to cover them all, okay? So ready to go at, look at example number one, yes? And like I said, follow along if you want because uh, we're, we're going a bit deep now, right? So again, methaluhum. What do you notice? It starts with their example is like the example of who, by the way, who is this method about? The previous group, right? Who was the previous group? These guys, right? This is where we ended off last time. Those are the ones who, who purchased misguidance instead of guidance, right? And Allah says their purchase, their deal was a very, like, uh, it, was, it was a bad deal. Yani. They lost all their, you know, profits. They were not guided. They were not guided, right? And in the beginning of the Quran, Allah told us that this book is guidance for the believers. So what we're learning in the next example here is the example of those who were misguided, right? What is their example? And why are they misguided? So, Let's take it one step at a time. Okay, I'm going to break it down to understand the the wording and then we'll look at the deeper meanings of it okay so f first of all we'll look at a shallow translation and then we're, we're gonna look at what between the lines Allah's trying to say right you see the kaf here what does the kaf signify 
means that this example is just one aspect of those people, right? In other places in the Quran, Allah is going to give us different examples. So think of it as one piece of the puzzle. In this example, Allah is giving you one aspect of these people who are misguided. It's not every, this example doesn't cover everything. Because you have different other surahs in the Quran where Allah will give you another piece of the puzzle and another piece of the puzzle. And that's the joy of, and the beauty of studying the Quran and reading the Quran is that it's kind of like this mystery, like this puzzle that's, that you can solve, right? But the more committed you are, the more pieces of the puzzle you get to um, solve. And, and the, more you, the more pieces of the puzzle you get to solve, the more you appreciate the Quran. Okay? But it's, again, if you look at it from a shallow perspective, you won't really be able to see this, right? So this is one piece of the puzzle. Like, for example, there is an entire surah called Surah Al-Munafiqun, which talks about other qualities of the, these hypocrites, right? And so you'll get other pieces of the puzzle in that surah, but not, not in this context here. So, مَثَلُهُمْ كَمَثَلِ الَّذِي اسْتَوْقَدَ نَارًا So what does اسْتَوْقَدَ نَارًا mean? Basically, istawqada means someone who's trying to light up a fire. Waqood is fuel in, in Arabic, right? Waqood is fuel. And istawqada means that you're putting a lot of effort to put the fire up. So now, yani, with the camping season coming in and barbecues, is it easy to light up a fire or it takes some time and effort? It takes effort and time, right? Especially in the beginning. But... <coughs> So what's the significance of fire? Let's talk about this. So, the, so there is this, the example of those people is the example of الذي, there is this one man who's lighting up a fire and putting a lot of effort. استوقد. So what is the significance of fire? When do we ignite fire? Very good. So number one, it's the time of the day is night. We're, we're getting the image and it's, it's night time because you don't need fire during the day. Why do we need fire during the night? For light. For light, to be able to see. Very good. What are other benefits of fire? And uh, again, think of it. Read warmth. Very good. Read it from the context of Arabs living in the desert. Right? They light up fires in the desert for light and for warmth. Absolutely. For cooking also, so many multiple benefits. And sometimes even for guidance. Sometimes even for guidance. When you want to, you know how like sometimes uh, adventurers who get lost, what do they usually have in their bag? Besides the torchlight, they have this, um, like a fireworks thing, right? Flare. Yeah, a flare basically. Why? Because light can sometimes guide others to see where you are. Okay. Um, Castaway, you guys have seen Castaway, that's the idea. Even for lost people, what do they seek? They seek that flare, they seek that light, right? That fire. So this man has استوقد نارا فلما أضاءت ما حوله And when, when you light up a fire, what does it do? It brings light. It, it surrounds that person with light, right? So if it was completely pitch dark here and I had like a matchstick or a torch, what would be lit? I would be lit, right? First of all, I would be lit and it would light up around me. Yes? Now let's stop and think about or, or look at the word adha'at. What's the root word of adha'at? Dhaw. Very good. What's the difference between dhaw? Or what is dhaw? 
What is dhaw? No. No, so Allah... So nar is nar, right? It's fire. It's a type of light that has heat. What about dhaw? It's a type of light that has... It has heat also, right? But Allah uses it in the context of the sun. So look at this ayah. So there's, these are two types of lights now. Okay? There's low and there's nur. What's the difference between the two? Which means it has heat in it, right? So dhiya has heat and nur has a sense of coolness, right? It's not hot, it's not hot right? And it's usually a reflection. If you, if you believe the theory that the moon is a reflection of the sun's light, then you can explain it that way. And there's other theories out there, right? Uh, that, the that the moon actually has its own light, okay? Which I kind of tend to believe, right? But this thing they taught you in physics, Suhadi, you can put a question mark on it. So, so what we're learning now is that this heated light is spreading around him now, this person. Okay. And ideally, what's supposed to happen when you're in the middle of the desert and a light is being spread and there's pitch darkness around you? What is logically supposed to happen? You become a source of light, yes? And anyone who, anybody who's lost is supposed to? Yes, they're supposed to att be attracted to you. Now what's interesting is, فَلَمَّا أَضَعَتْ مَا حَوْلَهُ ذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِنُورِهِمْ Allah extinguished their nur. Now notice, nur, not dhiya. You see now, like, why I'm, I'm trying to explain the words, right? So Allah mentioned that ذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِنُورِهِمْ Allah didn't say ذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِضِيَاءِهِمْ He's talking about something else now, some other light. Question number one. Who is whom? Who is whom? Hmm? Yeah, so these people. The people who Allah is giving example of, right? So the scene is that there is one man who is trying to light the fire, right? And it's, it's surrounding light around him. But then there's a group of people who were supposed to benefit from that light. But because Allah removed that nur from them, they ended up being lost in the darkness, unable to see. تَرَكَهُمْ فِي ظُلُمَاتٍ لَا يُبْصِرُونَ ذَهَبَ اللَّهُ بِنُورِهِمْ وَتَرَكَهُمْ فِي ظُلُمَاتٍ لَا يُبْصِرُونَ Now what does this word تَرَكَهُمْ mean? Think about it. تَرَكَهُمْ He left them, right? Allah left them. But what does it signify? It's, it's a very important word in this ayah. Excellent. Very good. Right? So Allah gave them the freedom. You can either come to the light or you can choose to yeah, be, be away from the light. Right? So Allah left them, which is another beautiful lesson in the Quran. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't force us to do anything in the Quran. Right? Allah just gives us certain laws. He, tells, he gives us spiritual laws of how the world works. Of course, He loves us and He wants us to benefit from these laws. But if we choose to ignore these laws or we choose to do, live our life our own way, then 
we are going to pay for the consequences and, and we can blame nobody but ourselves, right? So, So they lost their own light. Now notice, بِنُورِهِمْ What does بِنُورِهِمْ mean? Allahu بِنُورِهِمْ Where is this nur? Very good, it's somewhere inside of that. Again, I'm not going to explain what it means now, but just get the language. So this nur, Allah is telling us, it belongs to them. It's inside of them. Right? It's their nur. Okay? So they lost their own light. And obviously they don't benefit from this man, right? Because the man, the whole point of the light was what? Why is this man putting so much effort, by the way? Why is he doing this thing called istawqadanaran? Why? For himself? No, for, for himself and everybody around him also. Okay? So they, they choose not to benefit from this man. And they choose to walk away. وَتَرَكَهُمْ فِي ظُلُمَاتِ now let's look at the word zulumat. Why did Allah mention it in the plural sense? Zulumat. Why not zulam? Very good. So that's another thing you have to pay attention to is these people, Allah's talking about different kinds of uh, darknesses. He's talking about different levels of darknesses. So it's not just one darkness, it's different levels of darknesses. La yubsirun. What does yubsirun mean? What is the root word of basar? Uh, or yubsirun? I just gave it away, right? What's the root word? <laughs> basar. basar. So what is basar? Vision. Guidance. Have you heard of the term basira? What is Very good. Intuition or insight. Your ability to see beyond your eyes. Okay? So, nazar is materialistic seeing right like using your eyes but basar is foresight or insight like when you can s see beyond the physical you guys get what i'm saying right so it's insight it's first so la yubsirun allah's telling us that there's they're indulged in so much darkness they're surrounded by so much darkness that they're unable to see and they have no more insight left right So no insight. And you know, one thing that's also very important to understand is that when you're in the desert, how is the, um, the environment around you? It's extremely silent, right? And so when things are extreme, like when your environment is extremely silent, what happens to your senses? You become hypersensitive and super sensitive, right? You know, it, it, it triggers you, right? And the, yani, it's so dark and still, the least amount of light, what's supposed to happen? You're supposed to react to it. You're supposed to pay attention to it, right? But these guys have become insensitive. Even when their, their hearing is supposed to be sharper, Allah said, Summun. Now, what does Sum mean? Sum and Asam, deaf, right? Summun. And Bukm? Bukm is. Unable to speak, right? And umyun, unable to see. Okay, so pay attention to these uh, different senses. Now, what is Allah talking about? Our senses, right? Summun, bukmun, umyun. So here he said they don't see, but now he's saying they can't hear, they can't speak, and they can't see. Fahum la yarji'un, and they will never ever return, right? So this is basically what Allah is telling us, right? Is that these people have blocked all 
channels of sensory perception to be able to benefit from anything. Okay? That's, that's the idea. And they won't come back. They won't, they, won't, they won't come back or they won't go back. Go back where? Okay, very good. So it's as if Allah is telling us they were meant to benefit from this light, but because they left, they won't come back. Does Allah want them to come back? Of course, right? Yeah. But they chose not to come back. So that was the literal translation of uh, the wordings, right? Now let's look at the between the lines understanding of this example, right? And again, what I'm going to be sharing with you is some perspective that I found interesting. This is not everything. So going back to the time of the Prophet ﷺ, okay? How much time was there between Isa السلام, and Muhammad السلام? Around 600 years, right? 600 years. So before the Prophet ﷺ, for 600 years, there was no... There's no guidance, no prophets, no revelation whatsoever. Is that a long period of time, by the way? Yeah. Is there a time in the Quran? Like, how do we know these years if actually, like, time wasn't mentioned? So, yeah, uh, time and dates aren't mentioned, but uh, we, we can learn from historical documentation and even the, the dating, you know, the BC before Christ, after Christ, and that kind of stuff, right? Um, like, we know when the Prophet ﷺ through historians when he was born. 632 AD, right? So 600 years, right? Um, but yeah, it's mainly based on history. And again, the number is, is approximate. We don't know for sure how many years it was. But you're talking about centuries, right? Not decades, centuries of no guidance, okay? So when you have no revelation, think of it as the night of no revelation. Allah is talking about, so this scene of darkness is actually when there is no revelation. And by the way, who was the Prophet's primary audience in, uh, in his mission? Because we need to look at this from both angles. Who were the two primary audiences? Very important. The people of Mecca, very good. And? What, what's the other city after migration? Medina. So Mecca and Medina. So... And again, when Quran is revealed, it's talking to two different audiences. So the, who was the primary audience in Mecca? Quraysh. Very good. And who was the primary audience in Medina? Primarily the Jews, right? The people of the, the book. So both of these, and by the way, to give you some context, Quraysh, what was their link with guidance and revelation? Who was the, the last prophet that was sent to Quraysh, by the way? Ibrahim. After Ibrahim, was someone else also? Ismail. Ismail, right? So Ibrahim's son, Ismail, was sent to the Arabs of Quraysh. So you're talking about from Ismail all the way to Muhammad Sallallahu That's even a much, much, much more longer period than Isa Sallallahu to Muhammad Sallallahu Yes? Okay? So... A big, big period of darkness from the Meccan side and then about 600 years of darkness from the, from the Jews' perspective. You guys with me so far, right? And why were the Jews in Medina in the first place? 
very important to note this. Because there's primarily three tribes in Medina. Anyone, anybody knows what their names are? Banu Nadir, Banu Quraidha, and? Yeah, Qaynuqa. Okay? So three tribes in Medina. This is just extra details. You don't have to memorize. It's okay. But why in the world were these tribes in Medina? I mean, there's no, there's no oil back then in, in the Gulf, right? What are they doing in Medina? To some extent business, but... Yeah, and if I wanted to business, I'd go to like, you know, the Roman Empire or the Persian Empire or the... Um, the Haikshuno. <laughs> Why were they in Medina? They stationed themselves in Medina. <laughs> so they, in their books, in the Torah, they had clues that the final messenger was going to be coming from this land. They already knew it. So they were waiting anxiously, anticipating the final messenger, Which right? They didn't think he was an Arab? They didn't know he was an Arab, yeah. They, they, were, they, they thought it's going to be Min Banu Ishaq, right? So, and we'll talk about this later. So that was the primary reason why they rejected him. Just to give you a, another background related to this is, you, you know the story of the sacrifice of Ibrahim alayhi salam? Who did he sacrifice according to the Quran? Which son? Yeah, how many sons did he have? Two. Two. So which son did he sacrifice according to the Quran? Ismail, right? Which son was going to be sacrificed according to the Jewish perspective? Ishaq, right? So this is a major difference, by the way. And so because their teachings tell them that Ishaq was sacrificed, they preferred Ishaq over Ismail. Okay, so that's where the root of this arrogance started. Different mothers, eh? But it's common father. More righteous, which is could be. Yani umma kaat Sara umma Ismail kaat Hajar. But what we need to understand is that this ikhtilaf in, in like the sons rooted this racism and this arrogance in them. And ahna, we are the chosen people. And they had this arrogance for another reason. It's because Allah kept sending them prophet after prophet after prophet. Many, many prophets were sent to them. They started believing in that we are the, pe the, the chosen people. So, so because, they were, because they were given so many prophets, but what did they do? They, ke they kept on resisting these prophets, killed them, they kept on being ungrateful, they kept on arguing with their prophets. They've, they've, Bani Israel have killed prophets. Yani, you know, killing a normal person is a big enough crime. Killing a prophet, right? Pretty, pretty big deal. Yeah. You have a question? Yeah. I have yeah. A question. Um, why did I mean I'm not asking why God asked? But why did He have to mention the son's name? Yeah, this is what created all this confusion. I think it should have been easier if He said just His son. Mm. Where? No, that's, it's a good question. So maybe to clarify, right? To, to remove the confusion once and for all, right? Because the Quran is haq. It'll give you the ultimate truth. <coughs> but again, Allah doesn't want us to be, again, racist on the other extreme and think that Ben Ismail ahsam and Ben Ishaq. Allah calls us to Millat Ibrahim, which is the common, common people, right? So, but yeah, any good question. But again, to, to, uh, and there are scholars who have written books on 
like evidence from the Torah that in fact the actual son who was sacrificed was Ismail proven from the Torah itself right there's so many contradictions about that but you get this idea the darkness of revelation and Allah calls the Quran Nur actually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in different places the Quran calls the Quran what Nur why did Allah call it Nur and Allah calls it Huda also yes because it's guidance for people who are, are lost in their lives for people who are in, lost in the darkness of their lives the Quran is can be the light in their lives all right and so one of the meanings of uh, the Quran is is nur and one of the the lessons we can learn from is like Allah's drawing this the metaphor of the Prophet who is Allah it is actually the Prophet who was chosen to light the fire after many many years of darknesses after many many years of lack of revelation the Prophet finally came up with the snar to light up everything around him right which is supposed to be an amazing event in history by the way then uh, and by the way what what was so special about this Quran Yeah, why was it a miracle though? <laughs> what makes this Quran a miracle? The way things change You mean like the, the, the lessons you mean can change? Well, the okay, so it's preserved and it's, yeah, context, okay. But what, what else? What was so amazing back in their time? Like in their time, why was the Quran coming down such a big event? Yeah, very good. So language. The Quran's language was the miracle of that time, by the way. And let me also explain to you some historical uh, lessons behind this, right? For you to appreciate this. So who were the big empires back then when the Prophet ﷺ became a prophet? Romans, Persians, right? And you can think even before that, the Greeks, right? What were, what were the Arabs known for? Nothing. Nothing. Arabs, Arabs like didn't exist on the map, right? <laughs> nobody knew who the Arabs were. Makkah and Dom Shay. It was they were nobodies, right? But yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose to send the final messenger to light up this light, this fire, to like complete unknowns. But those Arabs, because they had nothing to do, all they had was desert and camels and, and tents, what were they into? Language, language, right? So this is the one thing that they valued so much and, and they became masters of language and shi'r. And, and for them, yani, shi'r would be the, the cause of marriages, shi'r would be the cause of wars, uh, tribes would fight with each other based on one shi'r, you know? Like media. A, it was absolutely communication and, and very, very powerful. Yani, they reached the, the peak of language that in terms of Arabic and Hatta they used to have competitions and the best poetry of the year would, would be hung on the Kaaba they used to call them Al-Mu'allaqat they used to hang them on the Kaaba right so they they really appreciated language and shi'r and poetry okay and they were known for this so when the Quran came down in audio format okay the Quran came down in which format not in written format, you have to understand. It came down in audio format. Okay? 
Notice, what's the first problem they had? Sum, which means what? Can't hear. Okay, so I'm, I'm doing some links now. So the Quran came in audio format, and the Prophet is just memorizing him and it's memorizing these ayat in his heart and reciting them onto them. And what was the Prophet's mission? Was it, okay, a, a trick question. Was, what was the Prophet's mission? Was it to teach the Quran? What was his message? What was his mission, actually? To get them back on track. Yeah, how? To get them back on track, yeah, to give them light after all this darkness. How? What was his methodology? What, was, what did Allah tell him to do? Secondarily, yeah, how? How? How did he convey? So did he teach the Qur'an? No. Did he give Qur'an lessons like we're doing now? No. Did he have like tafsir sessions at night? And what did he do? Think about it. He would say I'll recite it. Sometimes. When somebody's challenging. Recite it to the people. Very good. All he did was recite the Qur'an. That's it. Actually read it? Actually, like whatever was being revealed to him, he would recite it as it is. Now the question is, why didn't he explain what the ayat meant and the beauty of the choice of this word and that word and the difference between nar and law and... Hmm? Because they got it. They understood it right away. Not only did they understand it, they knew for sure that these words cannot be the words of Muhammad Wasallam, Because Muhammad Wasallam wasn't one of the top poets of the time at all. And... and this language was very, very, very different than anything they had ever heard before, right? So they didn't speak this way. Like they did speak this way. They understood the language, but they didn't speak this way. So it's, it's a very unusual form of speech, which is why they accused the Prophet of being a magician, um, you know, a fortune teller. They accused him also of having a secret teacher who would teach him these things, and you know, that's. Deep down inside, the Quraysh were amazed by the Qur'an. And in some cases, like we know from, from uh, Seerah, that some people of Quraysh used to enjoy reading so much, uh, or enjoy listening to the Qur'an so much, they were so like mesmerized by this book, that they would at night secretly hide behind the Kaaba just to hear the Prophet and reciting these words. It was like very soothing and, and amazing for them. But why would they do it in hiding? Because they were against him. Why were they against him? If it's such a beautiful message and... Yeah, so arrogance, ego, power, right? Because Quraysh were the tribal leaders of that time, right? They were the, the custodians of the Kaaba, literally, right? That so much power, so much influence, so much money being made. And all of a sudden, this man from Banu Hashim, right, claims to be a prophet. If they give him all the credit, what happens to their dominion and their power and their influence goes away, right? So, literally, the hub of Al Jah and Sultan and, and power and like status that was their core disease, right? And so that prevented them from. Benefiting from this light. You see that example? 
Now let's, let's shift to Medina. Medina, again, like we said, they were waiting for the coming of the final messenger. They knew he was going to come to Medina. And when he was born, they knew it was him. Bess, what happened? Why did they end up rejecting this message? In fact, Allah tells us, يَعْرِفُونَهُ كَمَا يَعْرِفُونَ آبَاءُهُمْ Yes, yeah, so basically, they didn't want to accept that this illiterate man from the Arabs is the final messenger, right? So again, the disease is what? Deep down inside? Arrogance. Arrogance. We are better than them. Okay? And uh, fear of loss of power also, because what was going to happen now all of a sudden, the Benu, Benu, especially the Benu Israel scholars of that time the the learned scholars right not the public but the the people who understood the book what would happen to their power and influence and in our terms what would happen to their followers on instagram and facebook <laughs> what would happen to them to start following muhammad right and he would become like the next uh right popular person right and so they wanted to keep their followers they want to keep their fans they want to keep their power and influence the similarity, like both same diseases but different contexts. So Allah's talking to both through this example. Allah's telling us that the Prophet was sent to light up that region, right? But these two groups, the disbelievers of Quraysh and the corrupt scholars of Ben Israel, they decided to turn away. They chose to turn away. They chose to walk away. Tarakahum fi zulumatin la yubsirun. Yeah. Just to go back on the point that they knew in the Torah in the there was going to be a last prophet. Yes. Sent in Medina. Yes. That says something still in their book. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. It's there. Is it there in the Bible? Yes. 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 Yeah. The actual Bible. Hmm. Actual Bible, the New Testament, the Old Testament. Yeah, so the word name for uh, it's incredible, but the word for it is um, translated as Ahmed. Not Muhammad, but Ahmed. And what's interesting is in the Quran, Allah also mentions that He sent to them a Rasul and His name is going to be Ahmed. So He uses the same term just to kind of poke them in the Torah. I know what your books mention, right? So you can do your own research, just Google it. Mention of Muhammad in the Bible, mention of Muhammad in the Torah. Okay? You'll see it. Uh, I think the word used for it is parak paraklite or something like that. Okay? That's the Hebrew term for Ahmed in the in the Hebrew Bible. Okay? But you can do your own research on that. Um, so yeah, mention by name. Okay, so they know this and they're all in denial. In denial. And what is denial in the Quran? What's the word for denial in the Quran? We talked about this. Kufr, very good, very good. So denial is kufr, right? And what is Islam? Acceptance, very good. So you have resistance, acceptance. Comes down to these basic terms, right? Islam is acceptance. Kufr is denial and rejection. Very simply, right? So parallels with Musa. I love this also. What are some of the similarities between this scene and Musa alayhi salam's life? Think about it. 
So you, have you heard of the story where Musa Islam, after he got married, he was walking with his wife in the middle of the desert and then he sees a fire very far away and he tells his family, he tells his wife, wait here, inni anastu naran, right? I've seen a fire far away. And then he goes to the fire and then what, what happens? Yeah, he speaks to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Where does he speak to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Yeah, on the mount, right, of, of a tur, right? Now think about the Prophet He's also born and for 40 years he's not a prophet yet, right? He has basic decency. He's, he's, by the way, the Prophet was a humanitarian before, before coming a prophet. He used to love helping people. He used to be very kind and generous. And he used to build fitrah, not, do, not commit shirk because it didn't make sense to him, right? And he used to feel really bad and like at times he would be depressed at the injustice happening in society. Injustice to women, injustice to children. Baby girls were born or, or buried alive when they were born, right? It's called Wa'dil Banat, right? Um, also, inheritance laws weren't there. There was, you know, orphans were being pushed around and all sorts of, like, injustice was happening. All sorts of corruption was happening. And this used to sadden him so much that what did the Prophet ﷺ used to do to relieve this pain? Before becoming a Prophet, what did he used to do? He would go to Ghar Hira, which is on a mountain. You see the parallels? And then... What happened one very special night? Allah spoke to Muhammad on a mountain, right? Just like he spoke to Musa on a mountain. You see the similarities between the two? And both were given light. Both were given light. The Prophet was given the Quran, Musa was, was given the teachings. And it's interesting that Allah calls the teachings of Musa Dhiya. And he calls the teaching of the Qur'an, Noor. Why? Honestly, I haven't got, uh, had time to research that, but that, that's another area of research. Why Musa is Ziyah and Qur'an is Noor, right? There must be something, you know, between the lines there. But there's so many parallels between Musa and, and Muhammad Musa was sent to who? To Fir'aun. Why? Fir'aun was doing a lot of injustice. Who was the Prophet sent to? Quraysh and, and the, you know, the, the corrupt scholars of, of Bani Israel. Why? Because there was a lot of injustice being happening, right? Uh, Musa Islam was kicked out of Egypt. He went all the way to Median, right? What happened to Prophet Islam? He was kicked out of Mecca, right? Or he chose to migrate to Mecca, uh, migrate to Medina out of Mecca because there was a threat of him. There's endless similarities between the two. So the root cause here is arrogance they they chose not to be, not, not to follow this so when the revelation did come down and again this applies to Quraysh as well as in Medina the scholars of Ben Israel they refused to listen they refused to listen so uh, this is is an example of yeah, the disbelievers, example number one. And, and munafiqeen, there's, maybe I didn't mention this, there's two types of munafiqeen, by the way. Okay? There's munafiqeen who are like spies, so they know that they are disbelievers deep down inside, but they hide it, and they, in public, claim to be Muslims, and you know, 
they do all sorts of things. Like Abdullah bin Ubay, he used to pray in the in the front row. Fajr, in Jama'ah, like in the front row, right? And they would be Hufad Quran, and so in the outside they're they're Muslims, but deep down inside, they were planning to kill the Prophet by conspiring with the Jews and with the, the Quraysh, right? So that's one type of munafiqeen, like munafiqeen who are actually kuffar, but they're, they're faking their Islam, right? But the Prophet did he ever call them out? Did he ever call Abdullah bin Ubay out and, and call like, to execute them all? Did he know them? Did the Prophet know them by name? Who the munafiqeen were? What do you think? Yeah, actually, Allah, Allah told him, right? But why didn't he expose them? Because he's a good person? Yes, because The Prophet ﷺ was a mercy to mankind, right? He wasn't there to uh, you know, execute people and, and punish people. So part of the mercy of this, and the Prophet ﷺ being the teacher is teaching us also. Like Khaylaw, Rasul knew who the chief hypocrite was of that time, who was conspiring to assassinate the Prophet ﷺ, yet he didn't expose him. They say that he wanted to go and, and pray on him, his janazah, and he wanted to remove his cloak and cover his body. Who, whose body? The, the chief hypocrite. That's how much he had love for his enemies. That's how much he loved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knew. The Prophet Allah would, would you know, protect him by telling him their plans, right? That's that's how much uh, you know, the Prophet loved even his enemies. It's really incredible. Yeah. Okay? A lot of lessons for us. But they refused to listen. And they would tell their family members, like in Quraysh, they would tell their family members, members don't listen to this man. Why? Lish. Lana. A father telling his son, don't you dare listen to this man. Why? Because if he did listen, he would become a Muslim. They would accept Islam. It's Because you can't deny it. Yani. It's just... You can't ignore the fact that these are the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's so beautiful words. Right? So, Hatta, one of the tribal leaders, he was visiting Mecca to, do, uh, to perform his pilgrimage. And um, when the Quraysh found out, they told him, when you come... Make sure that you don't listen to this man. You'll see a man who's reciting Quran uh, near the Kaaba. So make sure you don't uh, listen to him because you're going to go insane. You're going to go crazy. Because this guy's a, a magician. He's crazy, right? So what did that tribal leader do? Literally like took pieces of cotton and, and blocked his ears. And he started doing tawaf around the Kaaba one, two, three times, right? And he's seeing this man uh, reciting words but he can't hear right because he's protecting but then this thought comes to his mind now Anna being a tribal leader and I'm like one of the best poets of our of our time what makes me afraid of this man yani how how bad could these words be yani? how dangerous could they be I'm, I'm smart enough I, I can handle it but what does he do after three four rounds he removes the cotton and then as he passes by, he starts hearing the Prophet reciting certain ayat, and he stops, and it captivates him, right? And he just stands there listening to the surah, the entire surah being recited. By the end of it, there's tears shedding down his cheeks, 
and um, he goes back to Quraysh and, say, and, and claims that this man cannot be a normal man. I mean, this man is the Rasulullah, and I accept Islam. And he goes back to his tribe, and the entire tribe become Muslim, and they, they all enter into Islam. Right? So this is the power of the Quran. Back then, back then especially because of the land. Yeah. Why? Amazing point, amazing point. And we'll come to your point. Okay, we'll come to your point in a second. So they refuse to listen. Why? Because, yeah, they're afraid. They're afraid, and uh, this guy might um, mess up our family. And by the way, did, did families get messed up in Mecca? Big time. The believers were a small minority. You have to understand the believers. What was the benefit for the believers to accept Islam? Nothing. Zero, by the way. In Mecca, especially zero. In fact, kill a negative, Yani. You'll be isolated from your family, threats of killing. There will be boycott on you. You won't get any jobs, nothing. No one's going to do business with you. You're not going to get married. You're going to poss possibly lose your home, lose your family. You'll be kicked out, maybe even killed. Some were even killed. Amafi benefits, zero. So why would you even listen to this stuff, right? It's, yani, they were afraid. A lot of them were afraid. Many of them realized that if we listen, then we'll be accountable, right? But I might as well not listen. That's another reason. And they stayed quiet. Now, this is also an interesting point. So, summun bukmun umyun now. We're explaining summun bukmun umyun. Why did they stay quiet? And what does Bukum highlight, by the way? When are you told, when are you like not speaking? Very good. Afraid to say the truth. Uh, also, sometimes, you know, like you listen, like Abu Sufyan, you guys know Abu Sufyan? He was the head of Quraysh, by the way, the leader of Quraysh. He used to, he was one of those who would listen to the Quran secretly. And, you know, 21 years later when he became a Muslim, he told the Prophet that, by the way, everything you said, all the ayat, all the Quran, I, I truly believe. But the arrogance kept me from accepting Islam, right? So this guy li listened, but yet, what did he do? He stayed quiet. He didn't make it public in Natara, this man is a prophet. He didn't make it public. So he hid hiding the truth. What about the scholars of Bani Israel? When they heard the Quran, because they listened, right? They listened. What did they do? They also stayed quiet. In fact, what they did was they started changing their books. They started manipulating their books. يحرفون يعني في التوراة والإنجيل. Why? Just so that nobody would believe this man, right? So that's part of also bukum. They wouldn't say the truth. Okay? And umyun. The deeper meaning of Amyun is they're not willing to change their perspective. Why would someone not refuse to listen in the first place? Especially if someone who has arrogance, why would they refuse to listen? Because there's this ego that I am right, he is wrong. Okay? Actually, that's one of the most deeper forms of arrogance in our times. Like I sometimes do marriage counseling 
and coaching. The number one cause of all divorces, like in my experience, is this. Is this ego of I'm right and, and she's wrong. And she says I'm right and he's wrong. Right, wrong, wrong, right. Right? Like Shaitan said, Ana khayrun min, right? That's another form of arrogance is Ana a'lamu min, Ana sahu wal ghalat. And so, especially for the scholars of Bani Israel, they had this ego and, and they wanted to stick to their old perspective. Now, this is where it gets real to our lives. So many of us have a certain perspective. Where does this perspective come from? How does this perspective get shaped in our personalities and in our lives? Yes, your reality, which is a sum of all your experiences in the past. Ever since you're born, you're, you're reading things, you've been told things by your parents, by your teachers, by your friends, you've been watching movies, you've been listening to shows, you've been attending workshops and whatever, right? Yeah, and like you say, you are the sum of the five people you hang out with. Right? So watch out who you hang out with. And in our, in our times, you are the sum of the five people you listen to on, on YouTube or five, the sum of five people you listen to in terms of podcasts. Or, so you could be hanging out with people virtually today. So if you're watching Netflix all day, you're hanging out with people who are not real. Right? And you are the sum of that. Yeah. But if you're hanging out with virtually hanging out with smart people, people of knowledge, people of spirituality, people of wisdom, people of intellect, and then that's great. You will be the sum of that. And so that shapes your perspective. Now for these people, these ulama, why did they refuse to listen, to connect the dots now? Because they believe that their perspective is right, full stop. They didn't want to evolve in their perspe perspective. Does it, does it make sense to us today as Muslims today? Are there, are there Muslims today who feel that they are right and khalas, we don't need to upgrade our perspective. Khalas, ahnan, we are the people of La ilaha illallah. We are the Ummat Muhammad. We are the people of the Quran. We are right. Everybody else is wrong. You guys hear this sometimes? I wish they stopped there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just the beginning, right? So let me, let me explain to you how learning happens. What's the first step of learning? Very good. Very good. Summun. Okay. So by them not even listening, by them covering, like, covering their ears, they've el like eliminated the first step of knowledge, which is they're not even willing to listen. They're not willing to come to this class to listen. They're not willing to listen to that other perspective, that other opinion. Okay. And so after listening, what do you do? What are you supposed to do if you're a smart uh, learner? Question. How do you question? By speaking, right? So, summun, bukmun. If you just listen and you follow, are you smart? No, you gotta ask. Okay? You got to be a good questioner, right? <laughs> and then when you ask, what happens? You understand. And you know how sometimes, like, when, when you just get something, what do you say? Ah, now I see. What kind of sight is that? The inside. The inside. That's the basar, right? So summun, bukmun, umyun, fahum la yarjiun. So people who don't listen, people who are not willing to listen, they will never ask questions. They will never change their perspective. They will never come back to the truth. Okay, because they've eliminated. Come back? Sorry. 
يرجعون which is the same thing coming back right to what you already know right review could be could be looked at that way and so one of my favorite ayat is this one here Allah talks about ulul albab these are like a very special group of people in the Quran who Allah praises these are people of like uh, sound intellect people who are super smart intelligent clear minds okay what does Allah say? What's their attitude towards life? الَّذِينَ يَسْتَمِعُونَ الْقَوْلِ Notice, they listen to what? القول. They listen to anything. They listen to whatever is being said, right? And what do they do next? فَيَتَّبِعُونَ أَحْسَنَهَ هَلْ يَتَّبِعُونَ كُلَّهَ Do they follow all of it? They, t- they follow the best of it. How do they know what's the best and what's not? By questioning, by thinking, by asking questions in our mind. Does it make sense? Is it right? What part of it is right? What's wrong? Those are the people who get guidance. Like I remember, um, I think a, t- a few years ago, uh, Deepak Chopra was coming to Bahrain. How many of you attended that? Deepak Chopra, have you heard of him? He's one of those uh, spiritual kind of self-development uh, international speakers. So anyway, um, so I was looking for tickets and stuff and a couple of my uh, religious friends, right? When they heard about this, they freaked out. They're like, Fahd, astaghfirullah al-azim. You're going to attend Deepak Chopra? Let's go. Don't go. Be careful. <laughs> Hey, I, I don't know, I was trying to promote, you know, some open-mindedness. But they're like, no, 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 don't go listen to him. He is dhal, he has ideas, he's a mubtada', he's a kafir, he's a this. He's going to be show afkarik. What are they telling me not to do? Don't listen. They're telling me, don't listen to him. Same attitude. Why? Fear. But a believer, a true believer is someone who is confident because he has the promise of Allah's guidance, right? When, you, when you're confident that Allah will guide you, you have no fear anymore. And you're, you're going to go listen to, uh, if I tell you, if I give you the list of people I listen to, Allah, you, like, yani, you'll think I'm crazy. Yani. Have you guys heard of Sadhguru? Yeah. yeah. So the guy with like a turban and like big long beard. And people who may sound weird, but wallahi, they, like when you listen to them and you ask and you filter down and you understand, you get to see so many things that will help you appreciate the Quran more. And you know, a lot of people ask me like how, um, what's my methodology of studying the Quran, right? It's not through tafasir books, by the way. I, that was me five, ten years ago. I've read multiple tafasirs, right? But honestly, what I'm benefiting from now is doing uh, this ayah here. I listen to different cultures, different perspectives, different spiritual teachers from different uh, backgrounds, and then ask questions of how does this connect with the Quran, and then Allah shows me. And then it makes so much sense. And you appreciate the Quran even more, right? And so through these teachers, right, who n- most people would never listen to, I'm getting more clarity about the Qur'an. And I'm sharing this with you guys today. Isn't that amazing? 
But what do you need? You need courage to listen. Right? And then you need, what do you need for asking, by the way? This is another big one. You need courage for listening. And what do you need for here? Okay, many people are shy to ask. What else do you need to ask? Desire and curiosity, yeah, like, like that hunger, that um, desire. I want to know. I really, really want to know. You and you're willing to, to put in the effort and you're willing to, like you're committed, yeah? What if you don't know how to ask? Try. Yeah, yeah try, inshallah. Try. Yeah, try. You'll figure out a way, right? Um, Allah will show you a way, yeah. Of course, so of course. Great. Yes. It's not what? Sorry. Okay. Yes. So what, where's the fine line between arrogance of knowing, I feel like I know everything about, not everything, I know more than the person that's going to speak, or I know the truth about this religion that people that aren't Muslims don't know the, the I love your question. Thank you for asking it. Okay, and, and let me clarify that point, right? So when I go to someone like Deepak Chopra, am I going there with the qana'a that my perspective is right? No, that's the whole point of going, right? Otherwise, why go? So the whole idea is that you're humble enough to go and be willing to change your perspective. So this idea of qana'ah is ever-evolving. It's never fixed. You can never say, I know the truth, khalas, full stop. Because there's, because there's different levels of truths. And plus, very important point here, how do you ask? What's the attitude of asking? Because there's different types of attitudes of asking also. Very good. And uh, there's a lot of people who ask sarcastically to embarrass the other or to, to like criticize the other, right? That's disease of the heart, right? That's arrogance, right? But if you ask with humility, you ask with sincere intentions that you want guidance and you you want to understand right and you want to understand something at a deeper level so so i hope that answers your question so relax your attitude should not be in ana i'm going to attend this and i'm going to listen to this lecture but i'm going to hold on to my qana'ah no absolutely not let go of that i'm going to go in and allah will guide me and whatever allah guides me to will help me see 
at a, things at a deeper level. At uh, I'll get to see more beauty. I'll get to maybe clarify some misconceptions. And you should be flexible with that. But if you hold on to and, and be rigid with your thoughts and your ideas, then then it's basically not be fighter to go and listen and ask. Yeah. You're just wasting your time, right? So basics, yani basics. Um, yani, your your basics. Yani believe in Allah. Yani you know, simple things. But be confident in that. The Quran gives you what the basics are, right? Like Surah Al-Fatiha, we've studied it together, right? Being compassionate, being merciful, Ar-Rahman, Rahim, Alhamdulillah, being grateful, Malik Yawmiddin. There is a day of judgment. We seek your help. Allah guide us to straight path. Best. Everything else, be open for evolution. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And by the way, Ibrahim alayhi salam, right? Thinking about talking about different religions. I hope you guys are okay. Yani. I could stand here all night. Yeah, but we haven't even gotten to the other example. But Ibrahim alayhi salam, I like I love this personality in the Quran because what did he do? He was he was living in a home, and his father was the like the manufacturer of idols of shirk during his time. So he was in the system. What did he do? He went out and started questioning, right? He started questioning whether my father is right, whether the moon is my God, whether the sun is my God, whether the stars are my God. And eventually he got to understand. But what did he listen to? Very good, very good. So during his time, Makanfi, yani, lecturers and like, you know, Eckhart Tolle and none of that. <laughs> he actually had to listen to intuition through Allah. Directly. So sometimes just by being silent, and this is another deeper form of listening, by the way. It's not listening to a lecture. You want, you want, to, you want to get guided? Just sit in silence for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. Go deep within yourself. Go into the stillness of yourself and you will listen to amazing things. And that's what intuition is about. That's what meditation is all about. This new hype of meditation today. It connects you with the inner voice that you need to listen to. Okay? And that's what Ibrahim salam, that's where he got his guidance from, right? And that inner voice is sometimes much, much, much more powerful than a lecture or then here we're we're like talking intellectual level, you know, a bit of spiritual intellectual level, but there it's direct to the heart, yeah. Direct connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Which is called wahi, by the way. And by the way, is wahi limited to prophets and messengers? Hmm. No. Allah, revealed, Allah did wahi to uh, Musa's mother, right? Allah revealed to the bee. Also, right? So... Revelation or, or this kind of guidance through intuition can happen to anybody who's seeking it. Okay. So I highly recommend you to go into like research about meditation and and that's what salah is supposed to be by the way. Salah is like 
Think of it, it's not just prayer, it's meditative prayer. Prayer and meditation combine, right? Where part of it is, yes, you talking to Allah, but other part is you listening to what He has to say to you. Salah. Yes, salah, and a, a, a conversation, right? It's talking and receiving, sending and receiving. What do we do when we pray? Or most people when they pray, Allahu Akbar, Alhamdulillah, Subhanahu You're just talking, talking, talking. It's one-way conversation. What's missing? Yeah, you haven't even listened. You haven't even given Allah the chance to talk back to you because you're too busy. And then we we claim that yeah, we're, we're praying five times a day. So the question is, why did anybody not teach us how to listen? And just, yeah, khalas, anybody who talks about meditation, astaghfirullah, haram. We have salah. Right? Yeah. Or the other way around, people who don't want salah and meditating. Yeah. It's, it's both ways. So yeah, let's have the balance. Yeah. So they lost the light within. Let's talk about this. What's the light within? It's the light of the fitrah, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or the Prophet has taught us that كُلُّ مَوْلُودٍ يُولَدُ عَلَى الْفِطْرَةِ Every human being is born into this natural state of knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is called the fitrah, right? And this... It doesn't go away, yes, you're right, yeah. Um, and it's like the seed. The more you water it, the more it's the light spreads, right? But if you ignore it, then what happens? It doesn't die, but it's, it gets rusty and yani. So when Allah says, فَهُمْ لَا يَرْجِعُونَ Don't think of it as there's no hope for them, right? Think of it as Allah just giving us an example that unless they, don't, unless they want to come back, they will never come back, right? They have to be willing because Allah left them, right? They chose to be misguided. With this decision, they will never come back. But if they decide to make a U-turn, like Abu Sufyan did, absolutely, like there is there's hope for everybody. Okay. But Allah knows these people, a certain group of people, a very small minority group of people, by the way. Allah knows that they will never come back. Does Allah want them to never come back? Or Allah knows that they, will, they have chosen not to come back? Exactly, exactly, very good. So they lost the light within. And, and another thing about uh, this idea of light, right? The same thing like the seed. You know the concept of bed sores for patients, like in hospitals? When do those happen? Because you don't move. When you don't use a certain muscle in your body, what happens to it? With time, it loses its... its flexibility and its, its ability to function right so if you by the way scientifically like if you do an experiment and you blindfold yourself for a year what's gonna happen to your eyesight after a year any idea Allahu alam how true it is but apparently you go blind yeah ears because you haven't used the function. So one of the ways that, because Allah tells us in the Quran in some places that يعني, I have blessed you with eyes, I have blessed you with ears, I have blessed you with the ability in the, uh, to, to, to listen and to speak. But what are we supposed to do with these blessings? 
Use them, right? Use them not just to see and to hear, and, but to gain guidance, right? To get guidance, because that's what we're talking about ultimately. Is use these faculties for guidance. But if you stop using them, over time what happens? They become rusty and they start losing their functionality and then no matter how much speech you give them, they won't listen. Even if they're listening, they won't understand, they won't be interested. Bukmun, uh, they have nothing to say. Ammyun, they have nothing to see. You'll show them miracles even like for like Musa's um, in Musa's time, Fir'aun and his army, right? What did they see when they were following him when the sea split? What did they see? They saw a miracle in front of their eyes, right? What was the miracle? The sea turning into like two mountains and Musa and his uh, Ben Israel followers going, walking through the sea peacefully. Now, is that a visual miracle? Yes, and who saw it? Which people? Musa and his followers, right? And they were enjoying the, like, the miracle. Wow, cool, miracle. But what about the people behind them? Fir'aun and his army, did they see the miracle? Yes. But what did they do? Instead of stopping down and saying, wow, that's amazing. Musa's Akid, the prophet of Allah. They were blinded. Umyun, right? Yeah, they, they actually saw it physically, right? But what did they not see? Exactly. They actually like were so indulged in their like aggression and their like intention to kill this like Musa and his people that they it didn't click with them yani. isn't that strange right so that's how blinded they were that's the concept of bl being blind right here that Allah is talking about right so sometimes even in our lives today that we yani, sometimes see miracles happening and it's for people who are blinded spiritually they don't see they don't get it right they don't, they don't perceive. So they saw the truth, but like Pharaoh's people, they saw the truth. They saw it, but and you know, they say even the Prophet like just the light on his face was so bright that it, if you actually just saw him, you would accept Islam, right? And there's situations of that happening also in his time. Just by seeing the light in his face, people would accept Islam. With no, not, not even speech, just by seeing him, right? And I'm, I'm going to share with you another like perspective of this beautiful ayah. It's a completely different perspective, but I love it also. Okay, so what is this, by the way? What's this called? A pendulum. Okay. Um, so, so this thing comes here, and then when you let go, what happens? It moves everything else, right? Okay, so that's what a pendulum is. Now, um, um, part of my like search for the, the you know guidance and stuff, I came across this Russian writer called Vadim Zeland. How many of you have heard of him? Vadim Zeland. Okay, astaghfirullah wa tubilah. So um, he's written this book called uh, Reality Transurfing. It's like a mind-blowing book, right? Anyway, he taught me this lesson about pendulums. So what is pendulums? You guys remember when uh, the Arab Spring happened? Arab Spring, what caused it? What started it? Men, Khan, A guy in Tunis, what happened to him? He was so fed up. 
he lit himself up استوقد نارا فلما أضاءت ما حوله ذهب الله بنورهم وتركهم في ظلمات لا يبصرون guys get it so let's ask this question was the Arab, Arab Spring a good thing for the region I, again this is debatable but was it a good thing yes <laughs> what do you think Lighting yourself up and uh, instigating this. Again, يعني, for a movie, yeah, it sounds like a nice idea. But in reality, what is Islam? What is Islam? Acceptance and peace, right? What is kufr? Resistance. Okay. So th my perspective, again, you can feel free to disagree. My perspective is the Arab Spring was... Really the snar that that man, again, يعني, I'm not judging that person. I'm just saying he lit up a fire, right? But then when that law spread, the heat, literally the heat spread in different countries, people got stuck in that pendulum. They went to that extreme of let's get rid of all the leaders. They had no ability to see the truth from the falsehood. They just, it was like this, huge surge of negative energy that was spreading like wildfire and it made people do things that were really really bad right they were like literally in darkness and they weren't able to see that what they're doing is actually wrong they didn't see ahead, didn't see ahead. The, the, the like the consequences and the bigger picture uh, my my perspective is Arab Spring was Disaster, yani, right? But again, in the in the perspective of Allah subhanahu wa taala, that was it was written. It's part of Allah's plan that there's this mizan, right? So that needed to happen for us to kind of maybe learn our lesson, right? And that resistance, what you resist, what persists. Remember this law, right? What you resist persists. Okay. The Prophet did he resist the Quraysh in Mecca? What did he do? He chose peace. He migrated out. It's always the case. Even in the battles, by the way, it was all a form of peace. Deep down inside, Battle of Badr, Battle of Uhud, was all to maintain peace in the region, right? Fa, that's another perspective. Summun bukmun amyun fahum la yarjun. This region will never be the same again, right? People were blinded, people were told not to speak, people were, يعني, they weren't listening anymore. You know how, like, when like, you're so obsessed with your cause? to get rid of the regime or something, خلاص, you're not listening to anything. Nothing makes sense to you. خلاص, you want to get rid of that president or that. Summun, not willing to listen, to advice. Bukmun, not speaking. Umyun, blinded. And يعني, presidents of countries got like killed on the streets. <coughs> يعني. Okay? Like dogs, literally. يعني. But that's, that's not Islam. Is it? Vadim Zeeland talks about this idea of pendulums in our life where we, when we get dragged into these pendulums, whether it's on the right extreme or the left extreme, you will be blinded. You will not be able to see. Why? Because you become biased. You become uh, so obsessed with the cause that you 
refuse to listen to the perspective of the other. And, and connecting this to religions, people who follow the religion of Islam, I, I know for those of you who are not following our classes, because like, my perspective on this is that Islam is not a religion. Islam is the religion. Islam is not a religion, it's the religion. There is no other religion except Islam. Everything else is just man-made stuff. Think of Islam as like that middle spiritual path that every single prophet and messenger came up with, right? So Islam is the neutral ground that unites all of us. But people who follow the religion of Islam, thinking of it as another religion, they get stuck in a pendulum. And the Jews are in their own pendulum. And the Christians are in their own pendulum. And everyone's in their own pendulum. And then what happens? The followers of these pendulums refuse to listen to the other. They stop talking to each other. And they become blinded because they become extreme followers of their cult, their religion, their group, whatever it is. It could apply to even sports. If you're like a hardcore fan of Chelsea versus like Man United or whatever, you become blinded. If you see like the other team's player playing amazing and scoring amazing goal, you'll be like, no, I didn't see anything. Uh, that wasn't really like a nice goal. Khalas, you're blinded. You don't see the truth for what it is, right? Um, this also applies to uh, marketing. What is marketing, by the way? Marketing is companies and corporations trying to pull you to their pendulum, right? So you become so obsessed with whatever it is that you are obsessed with. Let's say, for example, junk food or whatever, right? Or sugar. I keep having this debate with um, like some of my friends, right? Now, uh, for me, like sugar is like poison, honestly. Like that's, that's how I see sugar, especially like processed sugar, right? Uh, because I've seen so many documentaries and that kind of stuff. But for other people, um, they're not willing to listen to that stuff. They want to have that, like the chocolate and the ice cream and the cookies. Or but no matter how, if I give them a one hour lecture about poison, sugar, like, they're not interested. They don't want to hear that. If I send them a, like a forward of a, like a YouTube video about like sugar being harmful, they won't listen to it. Forget sugar, cigarettes. Huh? Cigarettes in your face. Yeah. This is cigarettes, yeah, 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 yeah. You don't see it. Yeah. And by the way, I don't know. I mean, like what kind of signs do they have on cigarette packs now here? It's been ages. Is that, that's it? It's just like a statement? They actually have pictures of like lung cancer and like diseases and, and disgusting stuff. Yeah, it's right in your face. Exactly. But those who want to smoke, what are they? Like they don't see that picture. They, they're blinded, right? Why? Because they're stuck in that pendulum. So this, this idea of pendulums can apply to religion, it applies to politics, it applies to like the Sunni Shia thing, right? Ana Sunni Shia. Remember when the, um, we're getting to politics now, right? But it's okay, inshallah, right? Um, remember when the uh, problems happened in Bahrain, Ahdath, right? What happened? There were two pendulums, the Sunnis and the Shias. And you, ha you were actually, there were campaigns to drag you into one over the other. And what was, was that good for Bahrain? And what happened? Someone, Bukman Umar, we all like became blinded, right? We were forced to become blinded, literally. Yeah. So what's the, what's the teachings of Islam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? 
is to join pendulums or to be neutral? Be neutral, right? Be neutral to everything. You're unbiased. You're in the middle. وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطًا Allah says. It's so beautiful, right? You're the middle nation. Be in middle in everything. Don't be extreme in anything. In sports, in politics, in religion, everything, everything. Be in the middle. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even in good times, by the way. Allah says about, um, in, in, in an ayah in the Quran, Allah says, Inna Allah la yuhibbu al-farihin. Isn't that strange? So farihin, farah is joy, right? Inna Allah la yuhibbu al-farihin. Allah doesn't like people who are farihin. No. In that context, Allah is talking about Qarun. Who was Qarun? He was like a billionaire of his time who uh, became arrogant with his money and he became overly excited about his fame and his power and his money, right? So overexcitement is also a pendulum. So when Allah blesses you with a gift, a na'im, yes, you, be, you are grateful, you are happy, but don't go in extremes of overexcitement and over-obsession. Oh my God, oh my God. You know, that kind of like obsession is farihin. And Allah la yuhibbul farihin. Because a believer is... Yes, you're grateful. And when, like you said, in problems, it's a, it's a, prob- it's a challenge. I'll, it, yani after every storm, there is a bright and sunny day, right? Like they say. Well, get out of it. You have resilience. You come back to your center. You get knocked off, you come back to your center, right? Center. So you like the example? Yeah? So that's example number one. What's the time? So... We end, end it today or, or you want to keep going? What do you think? Huh? I can keep going. I can keep going. Okay. So I'll keep this one short. So this so example number one was exam- an example of... Actually, we'll talk about that toward the end. Okay. So example number two. Or third example is like the example of Sayyibin Minas Sama. What is Sayyibin Minas Sama? Sayyib is heavy rainfall coming from where? From up the sky. Minas Sama. So it's coming, think of like the people. Uh, in the desert again. Awka Sayyibin Minas Sama. Fihi dhulumatun wa ra'dun wa barq. Now when. What's the scene like? Let's let's picture the scene. Last week in Bahrain. Last week in Bahrain. A couple of weeks in Bahrain, right? Lulumat, <laughs> which means what? It's night, right? So it's night, heavy rainfall, and then there's ra'dun wa barq. What's ra'd? Thunder. Thunder and lightning. Remember that day when, like, yeah. at 10 a.m. it was like night, yeah? yeah? So literally, that like that's that's the scene that's being pictured here. So it's completely dark. And what are these people doing? يَجْعَلُونَ أَصَابِعَهُمْ فِي آذَانِهِمْ مِنَ الصَّوَاعِقِ حَذَرَ الْمَوْتِ So they're like, sawa'iq is like explosions. And they're putting their, Allah, so, so the Arabic word for uh, fingertips is anamil, by the way. And asabi' is your actual, like your entire fingers. So Allah doesn't say يَجْعَلُونَ أَنَامِلَهُمْ فِي آذَانِهِمْ Because like when you cover your ears, or you block your ears, what do you put in your uh, ears? The fingertips, right? Your, your anamil. But Allah's like exaggerating the scene here. He's saying that these guys are so terrified of those sounds 
that they're actually sticking their entire fingers in their ears. Why? Because the explosions are so terrifying and they're afraid of death. And Allah says, Allah is fully encompassing the, these kafirin. These people who are terrified of these lightnings and this, this rain and this um, uh, thunder and lightning. By the way, ra'ad is what? What's the difference between ra'ad and barq? Ra'ad is sound and barq is? Light. Very good. So ra'ad is something that you? Hear. And, and uh, barq is something that you? See. Some, like a thought just come to, came to my mind and that you know when you see the light the sound comes later right why because the sound of light travels faster than yeah so I don't know what the connection is but I'm just thinking maybe there's something here so what does Allah say about these guys now again we're just translating the barq the lightning think of it as like flashes of light that's gonna blind them the flashes of the lightning are so bright that they're actually gonna be blind you know how like sometimes when someone takes like a, a photo of you with a flash and what happens to your eyes like whoa right it's so bright that it actually blinds you for a second yeah that's what's happening here with the with the barq in the skies right notice that the word absarahum not a'yunahum absarahum okay now when the barq happens, what happens in the sky? Imagine it's pitch black and the barq happens. What happens? It lights up for like a split second, correct? So these guys, whenever it lights up, They're able to see a bit, right? And when there is darkness, what do they do? They just stand in their place. Why are they standing in their place? They can't see, okay? They can't see. So whenever they get a flash, they just walk a bit and then stop. They walk a bit and they stop. That's the scene here, right? وَلَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ لَذَّهَبَ بِسَمْعِهِمْ وَأَبْصَارِهِمْ إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ If Allah wanted, He would have eliminated their ability to hear and the ability to see. And Allah is capable of all things. So what is going on in this example now? It's, what do you notice like, compared to the previous example? Do you notice something? What are the, what are the, like, let's compare both. Like in the previous example, they're completely deaf. Yeah, they can't hear, they can't talk. here, they're like on and off. Very good, very good. Uh, excellent observation. So here, they listen to the barq. They are able to see a bit of light, but just like, just a bit. Yeah, hesitant. So there's like a bit of hope in this, uh, in this ayah, right? Slight hope here. That now Allah, these guys, yeah, they do benefit from light a bit. But they're like reluctant. There's a sense of hesitation. Okay. What else? Why are they putting their eyes, why are they putting their fingers in their ears? What is this talking about, Aslan? 
But why are they covering it though? They don't? Yeah, why? Because maybe they don't want to change. <coughs> right? Very good. Very they good. Are scared of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Fear of the unknown. By the way, is um, Ra'ad something like bad? What's the point of Ra'ads, by the way? Like when, when, when Allah was, uh, you know, I, I was sitting with the kids like near the, the home window uh, with, the, with the windows open. When, when like the, not this one, recent one that happened, there was another big Ra'ad sequence for like an hour or two hours. Remember, like three, four weeks ago. Remember that? So I was fortunate to be with my kids and like they started crying, you know, like, what's going on? But I actually took them all, me, my wife, and the kids, we all sat next to the window and we were like, like looking outside at, at the, the scene. It was incredible. I've never seen anything like it, by the way, right? But, um, so they were, subhanAllah, they were naturally what? They were naturally afraid of it, right? Because it's scary, right? The lightning and all that kind of stuff. But what does Allah say about Ra'd in the Quran? Does Allah want us to be afraid of Ra'd? Allah says. So Ra'ad is actually tasbih. It's a form of tasbih. When, when you hear those sounds, Allah wants you to... Um, it's like a sign from Allah. That the clouds do tasbih, basically. The, that Ra'ad is like the clouds saying, Subhanallah. Subhanallah wa bihamdih. That's what the Ra'ad actually is. And who told us this? Allah told us this, right? يُسَبِّحُ الرَّعْدُ بِحَمْدِهِ And so it's such a beautiful thing. And it's actually one of the sunnahs of uh, reciting when you see the Ra'ad. So I, exp- I explained this to the kids. And th- they're like, ah, interesting. That's cool. Yeah? And it Usually changed their perspective. Yeah, Rayana? Usually people say, oh, Allah is angry. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So now that I told you this piece of information, now what is Allah trying to say? Because I'm giving you clues. Hopefully now like you're able to like find the piece of the puzzle that Allah is trying to tell us. So wha- what's happening here? What is barq and ra'd? What are these? And why are these guys afraid? And why is Allah, you know, what is Allah trying to say? Think, think deeper. Okay, very good. You're very good. Yeah, you're you're very close. Very close. He wants their belief to be very strong. Yes, okay. But even if you don't see or hear, and even if there's no light, just trust me. Very good, very good, very good. Okay, okay. 
But again, I'll share with you my perspective on this. Is there any man lighting up a fire here? Why not? Okay, very good, yeah. So remember we talked about intuition and how Allah guides you sometimes like without an intermediary, like direct. So Wallahu alam, I feel like Allah is telling us even when there is complete darkness in your life and it's raining like crazy. So basically it's, are you able to see when it's raining like crazy? Yeah. By the way, if you have a camel in the middle of the desert, do you have any windshields? Mafi, yeah. No wipers, صح? Are you able to see anything when there's sayyib min as-sama? And when there's zulumat, are you able to see anything? When there's ra'd and barq, are you able to hear anything? Are you able to... S- Even if you speak, is anyone going to hear you? So when all these faculties... So it's like a similar parallel to the previous one where like you're not seeing, you're not hearing, you're not able to use any of your senses. Allah will still show you signs, Right? And will still try to guide you. And these, this guidance will be rahmah for you. This tasbih of the barq is actually light to guide you. Allah doesn't mean to make you afraid of it, right? The whole point is not for you to be afraid of it. And so another way to understand this is that, you know how sometimes people are afraid of listening to the Qur'an? Yes. Excellent, excellent. Absolutely, yeah. So, some people, when they hear the ayat of punishment and adab in the Quran, it's like sawa'iq. Right? They can't stand it. So, what do they do? They don't want to hear the ayat of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. They don't want to hear the ayat of Maut. They don't want to hear the ayat of you know, the punishment. and ad- Why? Because they're scared. Because they, they have this wrong impression that Allah wants to scare me, right? Allah wants to punish me and scare me. What is Allah trying to teach us here is that yeah, exactly. Look at the other perspective. These ayat, there is rahmah in them. There is guidance in them. You're not supposed to be afraid of it. You're supposed to use it as guidance for you to keep walking, right? Now, another idea here is this reluctance. What's this reluctance talking about? It's the reluctance of people who, when it comes to the Qur'an, they take part of the Qur'an and they leave part of the Qur'an. They try to come up with their own version of what's right. Is that a problem? Yeah, right? Because, you know, the Quran is not meant to be like, it's not like a menu in a restaurant where you like pick and choose, like, hey, you know, your appetizer, your main course, and dessert. It's like a holistic lifestyle, right? Where Allah wants you or is hoping that you'll take all of it why why what's the harm of taking part of it and leaving part of it yeah simply you'll be misguided and you'll go into pain and punishment and and suffering and Allah doesn't want you to go into that suffering and so he gave you this book as guidance as a whole right and and some people Allah calls them literally from like they bite pieces of the Quran Right? 
and that misguides them. Like, you know, people who justify killing uh, innocent souls and, and bombing themselves and, and blowing themselves up, do they quote ayat of the Quran? Absolutely, but they've, they've done idhin, they've cut out the, you know, ayat of kill them and this and that, and they've put together like a s small manual and they've told their students, listen, this is what the Quran says, this is what the hadith says, go blow yourself up, that's your ticket to Jannah and like everlasting hur al yeah, yeah. right? Um, that's the danger of idhin, cutting and pasting, right? That's another hesitation here is that some people, when it comes to their attitude towards Islam, yes, they benefit whenever it suits them, but whenever things are yani, not convenient, they stop. You guys, can you guys relate to this? Yes, beautiful, beautiful. Many people, yeah, they hesitate to listen because then they'll be held accountable, right? But that's another reason here. So can't hear, they can't speak, they can't see, they have this fear of death. By the way, are believers supposed to be afraid of death? No, death is a beautiful transition to another beautiful life. Okay? Different perspective. Okay. Uh, and Allah tells them, there's no escape. Yani, relax. What, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? So they can't see a little bit through the ra'ad, but they're looking for convenience. And whenever there's darknesses in our life, what does Allah actually want for us? To be challenged, to upgrade, to kind of, you know, learn the lesson and become more evolved and more uh, aware, basically, right? Upgrading your consciousness level, right? So all of these dhulumat, everything there is, is, there's blessings in them. But it's just how you change your perspective. For someone who's living this scene on a shallow surface, it's, it's like a horror, a scene from a horror movie, right? But Allah is showing us that even in these uh, ayat, there are blessings and guidance. Even if it's just a little bit of guidance, you can benefit from that. So don't be afraid of guidance. Quran is not a scary book. Unfortunately, many people for them, Quran is a scary book. Allah is scary to them. Right or no? And, and again, why? Because of the way it's been taught, yani. Honestly, like one of my missions in life is to like change this, right? Is to make people love the Quran, make people love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and let our children love this way of life, right? And like the beauty of it, the compassion and the, it's, it's really beautiful. There's no room for any of that stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, but someone like a friend of mine was mm. saying that she wanted to get into the Quran and but it's like all talk about, you know, mm. and how can you love a book that's just talking about exactly. all the bad things? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Again, yani Allah says He guides those who sincerely want to be guided. You know. And to to be someone who sincerely wants to be guided, you gotta show some commitment, right? Some willingness, some desire. I don't know where that desire comes from. Honestly, it's like. It's a personal choice, right? That every single one of us has. Like, no one's going to force you to seek guidance. It's something that comes from within. Some people, uh, they seek this guidance in good times. Some people need to go through bad times to get guidance. Some people, uh, good times make them forget guidance even further. Some people, bad times make them 
resist guidance even more, right? So there's different types of people and different hearts. It all comes down to the state of your heart. Okay, and let's connect this with um, the idea that, you know, Allah, in the beginning of the Quran, He talked about, sorry, I'm just, remember this, when their hearts have this disease, they're unable to kind of uh, understand and appreciate that reality. Anyway, I, I don't want to go take you through this because it's too much, yani, but I want to share with you the beautiful structure of this, uh, this selection of uh, verses, right? So, you want to do it or khalas? I think it's going to be a bit too much, yeah. So inshallah, next week we'll, we'll do a wrap-up of the, the examples and how it's beautifully structured. Because yani, the beauty of the Qur'an is not just that the lessons in them are so profound, it's how Allah speaks, how the, the verses and the ayat are structured. It's, wallahi, it's like mind-blowing stuff. How accurately everything is placed and how beautifully Allah speaks and how like some questions come to your mind and Allah answers them later on by themselves, right? Al-Qur'an yufassiru ba'dahu ba'da. Allah... It's like that puzzle, right? So inshallah, we'll, we'll look at these ayat um, next week. And sorry for keeping you late, inshallah. But um, uh, you're welcome. So, sawa'iq are explosions. You know how like when thunder is so loud, it's like an explosion. These people, they can't stand those explosions. And so they cover their ears to... Because um, they're afraid of death, basically. But what we're trying to say here is that those sawaq represent those scary ayat in the Qur'an. Or those heavy ayat of responsibility that human beings resist in accepting, right? Mm. They push themselves away from that. They don't, want, they don't want to change, or they're afraid to change, or they just resist it, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Lub or uh, you remember the cartoon Labiba? Yeah, Labiba, Labiba. Yeah, remember? No. no? <laughs> Where are you guys? So she was like this really super smart, genius uh, girl, right? Arabic cartoon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Ulul uh, Albab are like super geniuses and smart people, people of like sound intellect and s really smart people who, because uh, lub comes from uh, the essence. So s what makes geniuses like so smart is that they're able to capture the essence of things, right? And usually like the, the most wisest statements are the ones that capture the essence of a specific topic, right? So even the Prophet he would say like sm small statements that would capture like, like, you know, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يحب لأخيه ما يحبه لنفسه just like 10 words. None of you is a believer until you love for the other what you love for yourself. That you could literally live your entire, like this sentence summarizes the entire Quran. Right? Makes sense? Yeah. Alright, thank you so much. And, uh, uh, this one? Okay.